Amen. That's good. I want to make sure uh, that we all understand. Jesus is in this room. And that makes everywhere I go holy ground. Because he goes with me. And if I would live consciously every moment of every day with that understanding the world would be a different place. I'm the problem. He's not the problem. I'm the problem. Because I restrict him from doing his will on earth as it is done in heaven. In my life, that's the answer. That's the answer to the problems. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's let him live. Amen? That's the answer to the problems in our society. It's the answer to the problems in our world. It's the answer to the problems in our community. It's the answer to the problems in our church. It's the answer to the problems in our home. It's the answer, it's the solution to the marital issues that we face. It's the answer and the solution to the problems that we have in, in our, with our children and with our parents and in all of our relationships. That's why when God talks about relationships, the first relationship and the one that he talks about the most is the relationship with him. If I'll have a meaningful relationship with God, now we talked about it, Colossians chapter 3, those first verses, those first 17 verses, if you then be risen with Christ, you, you can't do this on your own, you don't have the power within yourself, you can't muster it up, you can't discipline yourself enough to create it. You are dead and you must be made alive through a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ by putting your faith and trust in Him and allowing Him, His Holy Spirit, to come and quicken you, to, to make you alive. This is not something, this is not religion. This is not some kind of discipline or, or following some regiment. It's about a relationship where God lives in you and He has quickened you. And if that hasn't happened in your life, then, then that is, has got to be the first step. Amen. And I fear. I fear. That there are many people who are good church members. Fine, moral, upstanding people. But are spiritually dead. Never been made alive. And I will never cease to encourage you to examine yourself to prove your own self, to know your own selves. Quit, quit examining it. He didn't say, Paul didn't say, examine everybody around you. Check out the rest of the folks in the church. Make sure. Because you know what? We got them pinned, right? We've nailed everybody else. We know their sin. Paul said, check yourself out. Know your own self. Prove your own self. How Christ Jesus is in you. Except you be reprobates. I would encourage you 
If you then be risen with Christ, it's an if statement. Has it happened? Do you know? Do you have the evidence in yourself of having been made alive through Jesus Christ? If that's the case, then, then that's not the end, that's the beginning, right? So set your affection on those things that are above. Seek those things that are above. Pursue God. Quit pursuing the things of this earth. Quit living like you're, you're, this is everything, that it's all here. Like, like all of everything that I've ever valued is here on this earth. Quit living like this is the end. Live like you're leaving. This world is not my home. And it doesn't matter how much I attain. It doesn't matter the standard of living I reach to, the position that I get. I can do everything I ever wanted to do, have everything I ever wanted to have, be everything I ever wanted to be, and still end up losing. Because I don't have a relationship with God. We've got to live differently. Seek those things that are above. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. He's saying, die to this flesh. Get up every day and say, God, this mouth wants to say things that it shouldn't say. These fingers want to type things they shouldn't type. Let them type your words. Let this mouth say what you once said. May what comes out of my mouth be your mouth. Your words, these hands, these feet want to go and do things they shouldn't be going and doing. God, help me to die. Put them to death. That they could be instruments of you. That you could say and, and do what you want to say and do in this world. Put off the old man. Take off all of those things, we saw all those things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put all of that off. That's what I produce. That's what Joe does. But what God does, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, generalist, I think I missed. Those are his characteristics. And I don't muster those up. It requires that I die. And allow him, put him on. That man that's renewed after the image of him that created him. That is the answer. I, as simplistic as it may sound. It's beastly hard to do. But it's a simplistic truth. And it's the answer to the problems we have. And then, and, then, and then his instructions for, for family relationships and all other relationships get very simplistic. He says, wives, submit. We talked about that last week. As painful as it was. And he says, husbands love, children obey, and parents don't provoke. Just once we get the foundation right, once we get a meaningful relationship with God, we get this, this vertical relationship right, then the horizontal relationships become much easier easy, much simpler. The, the, the instructions are simple. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, it's, it's impossible. You, you can't do it. That's why you need this meaningful relationship with God so that he can do it through you. You see, he understands how to submit. That's what Jesus Christ came and did. He submitted to the Father. Although knowing he was equal with God, he humbled himself. 
and, and guys today as we talk about hus- husbands loving their wives and that certainly is something that's beyond our physical ability to, to love them like Christ loves the church. He says it in verse number 19. i got to move. Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Uh, interesting little phrase that he throws in at the end. But let's start with this idea of husbands, love your wives. And so just very simplistic instructions. And remember that, that what God's goal is is to reverse the curse. In the curse, what happened was God said this, this marriage was marred in the curse. And, and he said to a, a husband that... Is, that uh, a woman that her desire should be unto her husband, and that he would rule over her. And, and we said last week, and it's important that we remember this, that both of those things are representative of the curse. Her desire to rule over him, and him ruling over her, both represent the curse. And the goal of God, through Jesus Christ, is to reverse the curse. That's what God's working toward. He's looking to reverse the curse that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, as born-again believers, have been made alive by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, we wouldn't live under the curse any longer, that we would live differently, so that I wouldn't rule over her and she wouldn't rule over me, but we would enjoy a relationship of harmony and unity together, each fulfilling our own roles where a wife submits to her husband and a husband loves his wife and he says specifically, as Christ loves the church. He he gives that extra light in Ephesians. In fact, I want to read in Ephesians chapter 5. You might want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. It's just a little ways over from where you are in Colossians. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Again, he's laid the foundation of a meaningful relationship with God, crossing even all the way back over into chapter 4 of Ephesians. And now he begins to talk about family relationships. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And that's where he gives that love and respect command. Husbands, love your wives. It's a command. Wives, reverence your husbands. It's a command. And I know we struggle with that, and we say, how can you command love? Well, because love is not an emotion, it's a decision. There's emotions that come, praise the Lord, but it's a, it's a decision I choose. It's a choice that I make. And I would add that respect is a choice. I know sometimes we say, he doesn't deserve it. He's not respectable. On rare occasions, ladies, you're not lovable. Rare occasions, very rare. But on that rare occasion, he's still commanded to love you. You're commanded to respect him. And if we will live that, it'll solve a lot of problems. A lot of problems. Somebody's just tried, someone just has to choose to be the adult. 
in our relationship, I don't have to tell you which one that is. Most often. That's my wife. She most often is the one who says, this thing is spiraling out of control. And I'm just going to do what's right. Because it's right. Regardless of the results. He qualifies here and he, he says, husbands love your wives even as Christ loves the church. Now, so we've got to ask ourselves, well, okay, how does Christ love the church? Well, he, he not only tells us to love her, he, he tells us how to love her. And he not only tells us how to love her, but he shows us how to love her because he loves us. And so we love her like he loves us. And, and I think there's a few things that we can pull out of this text, and we're going to look at them really, really quickly because uh, we're going to, time's going to get away. Uh, he, that, so let's look. Verse 23 says, Husbands, love your wives. We talked about this for a moment ago. A moment, last week, excuse me. The husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. And, and so when we talk about God's love, Christ's love for his church, he, he models it in, in this phrase. Uh, so uh, when, he, when we talk about a husband being the head of his wife, uh, even as Christ is the head of the church, uh, there's been a lot of bad examples of that. There's been a lot of, a lot of bad teaching about that. I, I grew up in a home uh, that, was, that was fairly functional. You know, we all think that our families are functional until we, we realize that they're, they're not. Uh, and so there was some dysfunction in my home, I'm certain, uh, and, and probably in this area, uh, that, that, that was a difficult part of it. So I grew up in a, in a rural community, uh, probably actually my, my, bringing, my upbringing was probably 20 years behind in the times, uh, and, and just the way people think, and, and although my father loved my mother, I'm certain, uh, there was some authoritarian issues there. We'll, we'll leave it like that. Uh, and uh, so there's been some bad examples, you know, and, and maybe some confusion of roles and, uh, and how things play out. Uh, but what, what we need to understand is, is not, you know, that's my bent, that's how I was brought up, that certainly has an impact on my life, but that's not the authority of my life. This is the authority of my life. And so I'm to take all of those experiences and my thoughts and, and what I think might be right and my emotions and my perceptions, and I'm to come to this book and go, oh my goodness, I see myself in that mirror, and what I see is not pretty. I need to fix some things. I need to align myself with the standard of this book. And the standard of this book is that a husband loves his wife, he's the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and while certainly Christ is the head, he's the master, he's the Lord of the church, here particularly, he's not saying that, because if you notice, there's not a period at the end of that. He says, he goes on to explain specifically what he's talking about, and what he's specifically talking about is that the husband is the savior of the body. So in, the, in the, the love that Christ has for the church and the headship that Christ provides for the church, specifically as he looked at us and he said, oh my, there's an incredible need here. I'm going to assess this need, but not only am I going to assess this need, I'm going to meet this need. And in order to do that, I'm going to sacrifice myself. So, so what he's talking about when he talks about the, this concept of, of a husband being the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, it's not that she's in servitude to me, but actually it's quite the opposite. 
I'm in servitude to her. There was some masculine amens right there. I expected some feminine ones. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20? Jesus called them unto him and said, You know how the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them? And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as, there's that key word again, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Men, you want to know how to exercise that headship over your wife? You want to straighten that woman out? You treat her like Christ treated you. He didn't exercise dominion over you. He didn't come to be served, but he came to, give, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Become a servant to her. Serve her. Love her enough to assess her needs and meet her needs. You know, it's unique that they, what God said, he could, in this whole deal, right, God mapped this whole thing out. It was, it was all his idea. So the, the whole family unit, the whole relationship thing, uh, he decided it all. And, and he decided what he would, he would name those roles. And so he said that the man in a marriage relationship would be a husband. And you may think that's not significant, but what is a husband? What is a husbandman? I mean, there's a lot that you could go, there's a, there's a long trail we could go down, we don't have time to go down, but when you think about it, a husbandman is a tiller of the soul, uh, it's, it's a gardener. And, and what he said, I mean, if you wanted to get, just get down to it, what he did was, what God did in the garden was he made Adam out of the, the dust of the ground, and then he took a piece of that ground out, and he made that a woman, and he brought her under the man, and he said, now you need to dress and keep her. You need to serve and protect her so that she brings forth fruit. I grew up on a farm. My, my, my parents, we, we had huge gardener, gardens and, and grew a lot of corn to, to feed cattle. And you know, my dad, one of the amazing things about my dad was he could walk out into that garden and he could look at those plants and he could discern what the need of that plant was just looking at it. Man, we need some triple 13 fertilizer here. My dad, we would plant tomato plants, and he would make me and my brothers go out into the woods and cut branches off of trees and go in and stick them up beside the tomato plant so they'd have shade. And then go back and water them. They need water. They got too much water. We can't let them have any more water. We got to get some, some of that water off of there. He knew what those plants needed. He assessed the need, and then he met the need. Trust me, I never saw him walk into the garden and say, what is wrong with you plants? You guys got to get it together, man. I'm expecting some fruit. Vegetables, I guess. <laughs> he didn't blame them. We had orchards. He never went into the orchard and, com and, and complained to an apple tree because it wasn't producing. He understood when he walked in. They only produce as I provide. My responsibility is to assess their need and meet their need so that then they produce fruit. That's the role of a husband. 
See, ladies, you just thought you had it bad. (laughs) I just saw Brother Doug over there, Miss Katie. Good to see you this morning. I've heard him say for years, leadership doesn't have its privileges. It has its responsibilities. See, we misconceive it, right? We, we think leadership has its, that its privileged position. Leadership is a position of responsibility. The same thing's true in the home. As the head, we have a responsibility. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He sacrificed himself. He, he didn't just say, oh, wow, they've got a need. Hope some, oh, man, I hope that works out for them. Now he said, they've got a need, I'm going to meet the need, and it's going to require that I humble myself. It's going to require that I make myself of no reputation. It's going to require that I leave that throne room, the one that we just sang about, that Isaiah walked into, that Ezekiel walked into, the Apostle Paul walked in, John walked into, and looked at that throne and went, oh my goodness, (laughs) woe is me. He stepped off that throne. And came into this world and was born as a baby in a manger. So he could meet our need. The role of a husband, he loves his wife so much, he not only assess her needs, but he sacrifices himself to meet her needs. That's a tall order, I know. And I blow it all the time. You know, you think, maybe some of you guys are thinking, that jerk, man, what's he up there doing talking about that stuff? Hey, it could be worse. You could have to be me up here talking about it. (laughs) And knowing that my wife's sitting out there, I don't know where she's at, but she's somewhere in this room. (laughs) And she knows how bad I blow it. It's tall order, right? But it's who we're called to be. And, and a lot of times we want to say, well, when she deserves it, I'll treat her like that. But aren't you glad Jesus didn't treat you that way? Because I would never have received if he had treated me that way because I've never deserved it. I'm unworthy of it. But the Bible says when I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And he goes on and says, when, when I was, had made myself his enemy... He died for me. Uh, The Bible says that that he initiated this relationship, that that he first loved me. That's why I love him, because he first loved me. Uh, Again, he says he he sacrificed himself. He he loved me at the expense of his own reputation, that it cost him to step out of that throne, to come down to this earth, to make himself of no reputation, to be found in the fashion of a man, and being found in the fashion of a man, he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. That's what he did for us. And as a husband, that's how I'm to love my wife. So, can I just stop for a second and say, I don't, my daughter might actually tune into this at some point. If you're not married, ladies, that's the man you're looking for. That's, that's the prayer I pray every day for my daughter. God, give her a man 
who will love her like you love her. You're looking for that guy. Parents, we're looking to raise that guy. You have a, a male child. That's who we're trying to raise. And, and let me just take a couple of steps back, although I don't have time for this. But it needs to be said. In a world filled with pornography, we're not setting our young men on any kind of course that would cause them to treat a woman like the Bible teaches they ought to be treated. I'm so sick of hearing that pornography is a victimless crime. There's more victims of pornography than probably any other crime in the world. Ladies, every one of you are a victim of that crime. Because it objectifies women. It's, it's a tall order. I, I, I've heard men say, if I treat her like that, she'll take advantage of me. Well, let me say first, that doesn't matter. Because I don't do what I do for what I can get. I do what I do I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not promoting myself, so let me change how I said that. We shouldn't do what we do for what we can get out of it. We should do what we do because it is right. Would to God, and I, I say it all the time about our government officials, I wish our politicians would quit worrying about what's politically expedient and just do what's right, regardless of the cost. Now, Before they ever do it, we're going to have to start. Right? So we've got to quit worrying about what's expedient and, and manipulating situations and how can I get the best out of this and what can I do to... Let's just do what's right because it's right. So husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Be the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body, because it's right regardless of what the results are. Although I will say, because of what Christ's submission to God the Father, what Philippians 2 tells us, is that God highly exalted him and give him a name above every name. And I believe, as we build biblical marriages, if we'll love our wives like Christ loves the church, he'll highly exalt us and give us a name above every name. If we're willing to live that way. It's, I told you this last week, inside the heart of every woman is the desire for a man who would be willing to die for her. Inside the heart of every man is the desire for a woman who would be willing to live for him. It's Christ in the church. It's, so it's, it's a love that, that provides, it's, it's a love that purifies. And Can I, can I just hit this quick? He, he says that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. And so when we come into a marriage relationship, what it, what it says is Christ, he, he, he brought us to himself. 
He loved us like that, that he might wash us, sanctify us, and cleanse us. So he sacrificed himself to clean us. I I came to him filthy. And and maybe some of you here this morning, you're thinking, you know, I'm thinking about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to come to church for a while, and and I'm going to modify my behavior, and you know, I'm going to I'm going to try I'm going to line some things out, and then then I'm going to come to Jesus. That won't work. You know, the song we sing a lot of times at the end, "Just as I am." That's not that's not only the way that you can come to Christ. That's the way you have to come to Christ. If you come thinking you can fix it, you you're you're, you're on the wrong track. It, it, it's about surrender to the lordship of who He is. It's about realizing that I'm filthy and I need him desperately. Uh, and so we, we come to him like that. And, and, and so we, what he says in, in, a, in a marriage relationship, all right, so when a husband and a wife get married, that, that a husband loves his wife and, he, and, he, and he's going he's gonna to focus on ministering to her and meeting her needs and, and realizing that some of those needs, she may have been brought up in a home with a dad like me who was certainly unperf- imperfect, and didn't do everything right, and so she might have some issues. And those issues aren't of his doing. They, they would be of my doing as her father, but he still is responsible for ministering to those needs. <laughs> and, and he recognizes, as he ministers to those needs, verse 27, they might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. And so he recognizes that, that I'm ministering to my wife, I'm caring for my wife, I, I'm, I'm meeting needs of my wife because I'm presenting her actually to myself. This is, this is, just, this is just smart. It's a purifying love. And, and then the, the, the last thing on the, the love bit, and I want to hit this last phrase, and I know we're going to run out of time. It's practical. He says, so all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it. And so he just says, love her like you love yourself. Love her like you love your own body. Now, I'm a man. And so I think I can speak to the fact that we know how to take care of ourselves. We nourish and we cherish ourselves. When we get hungry, we eat. When we get thirsty, we drink. When we get hot, we turn the air on. When we get cold, we turn the heat up. We take care of ourselves pretty, pretty good. We want something, we go buy it. Typically. He just said, take care of your wife like that. She's, she's a member of your own flesh. You two are one. Love her like you love yourself. But he said, just in case... Just in case your standard for loving yourself is not high enough. No man ever hated his own flesh, verse 29, but nurseth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So love her like Christ loves the church. And the way that Christ loves the church, Ephesians 1, hath put all things under his feet and give him to be the head over all things which, uh, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is his body only point there. And then 2 Corinthians 9, notice that he says, this, this is how Christ loves the church, and, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. 
What does that say? He's supplying my every need. He can make all grace abound always with all sufficiency in all things, abounding in every good work. There's not a need that I have that Christ isn't meeting. We sing it all the time. Christ is enough. And the reason we sing it is because it is true. He is enough. It's like we talked about last week. He's supplying all of my needs. Therefore, I'm free to serve my spouse. And if the same is true with her, and we each serve one another, we do abound. We have an abundance of supply and a lack of need. And that gets jacked up when we cease to allow Christ to meet all of our needs. It's, it's just very practical. Love her like you love yourself. Love her like Christ loves his body. Now, I've just got a, a couple of minutes here. And, and this is huge. But because the last phrase there, back in Ephesians 3.19, it kind of catches you a little off guard. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We, we talked about this for a minute at House of Prayer this past Wednesday night. It bears repeating. You know, maybe every Sunday between now and the rest of our lives. Because we do so struggle with relationships. And we, come on, we are a bitter, angry society. I grew up, I grew up in a time where you could have a disagreement. And not fear for your life. What, what motivates someone to, to pursue someone who's fleeing from having just stolen property and, and, and just suspicion of stealing property and end up taking their life? I don't know the whole story, but I, but I will say that's an extreme response. There's some bitterness in there that motivates an extreme response to what, what motivates someone for counterfeiting money to, for, for 10 minutes at the back door of a police car, rather than, rather than following what they should, get him up and put him in the car to just sit there with your knee on his neck. I, I, I am a supporter. I am a chaplain with the city of Decatur Police Department. I, I've been one in Cartersville. I, I was one before I left here. My family in law enforcement. And I, I don't characterize law enforcement by the actions of that one person. He was an individual. We have law enforcement in this room. I support law enforcement. I support law and order. But there's something wrong in the heart of a person. In multiple people. Those people stood by and watched and didn't intervene. Who had the power and the authority to intervene? There's something wrong, something desperately wrong when a man walks into a house and shoots his former mother-in-law and his ex-wife and her sister and, and the boyfriend. Something's wrong. We've lost common decency, value for human life. We're overcome with anger and wrath and bitterness and malice. The depravity of man is on display. And the difference between 30 years ago and today is it's 
commonplace. I, and there's been problems, I, I know. And, and man has always been depraved, but and it just seems like it escalates. Regardless of, of the level that it's at, it's the depravity of man. It's bitterness in our hearts. When, when, when you, uh, again, I, I've never been a minority. Except for a few short stints outside this country. I've never been in the minority. I don't know what that's like. I have no idea. I don't know what it would be like. I would suspect that there's, there's at least the possibility of, of a fear in my mind. That someone has hatred in their heart for me solely because of the color of my skin. That's depraved. There, there's a bitterness, there's an anger there that's not right. And I know we're talking about marriage relationships and we're talking about family relationships, but it, but it, it, it Again, the, the incident that happened in our community where you get to the place to where you're so angry that you're willing to take another person's life. I'm not going into all of the, 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 the self-defense and all of that, but when you go with malice and forethought intending to take people's lives, There's bitterness. Let me just say, I'm out of time, and there's a lot to be said, and maybe we'll say it next week, I don't know. It, it does merit our time. It does. Jesus said in John chapter 13, as he gathered in that upper room with his disciples, he washed their feet. And there's a lot going on there. It's not just for the purpose of getting the dirt off their feet. It's not just humble service. If you read that whole text, Jesus said to Peter, you don't even understand what I'm doing. He said, if I don't wash him, you have no part of me. And he said, then wash me all over. You don't need to be washed all over, Peter. It's just your feet. There's a, there's a deeper story there. But he says to his disciples, now, now you do likewise to one another. You, you take care of one another. You, you wash one another's feet. And again, it wasn't an ordinance of the church. I don't believe at all that he was making. He was simply saying this. Suffice for, for this moment to say it this way. He was saying, you need, to be, you need to stay right with one another. Don't you allow ill will and bad feelings to gather on your feet as you walk through this world. You're commanded to go out into the world, you're commanded to walk through this world, but, but you have Christ in you, and what you need to do is regularly wash your feet. You need to make your relationship with God right, and you need to make your relationship with others right. Amen. And he goes on and he makes this monumental statement in verse number 35, by this, by your church attendance. By this, by, by your 
You're living by a strict standard of rules. By this, by your, your giving to the, to the church. No. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That you have love one for another. The validity of our discipleship. The validity of our faith. It's manifested through our love one for another. And remember, love is not an emotion, it's a decision. Love is where I put you above me. Where I say what's good for you is more important than what's good for me. In John 17, he's praying that high priestly prayer back to the Father. And he says in verse 21 that they may know that, excuse me, he's praying for, for those disciples, he's praying for us. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The validity of my discipleship is, is manifested in my love for the brethren. But it goes beyond that. The validity of who Christ is is manifested in the unity of the body. Would you put that verse back up for me? That they all may be one, unified together, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that we would have fellowship with the Father, meaningful relationship with him, meaningful relationship with each other. Why? that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That the world would believe that Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh to redeem the world. I mean, sometimes we play like it's not a big deal. Jesus seems to think differently. And again, I know we're talking about marriage. We're talking about a marriage relationship. But I can't help. It reaches farther than that. And if we can't, if we don't have right relationships with God and with our spouse, we sure don't have right relationships with everybody else. God put them in an order for a reason. It does matter. And bitterness, be not bitter against her. We'll just take next week and talk about it. That's all I know to do because we've got to talk about it. Because we've got to deal with the bitterness. I would encourage you this week to read Romans chapter 12. We all know the first two verses, right? Paul's just laid out all the doctrine of the church, and then he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
It's a reasonable service. Thank you, Sharon. What's verse 3 say? How about verse 4? How about 5, 6, 7? The rest of the chapter is the renewing the mind part. So that we think differently, so that we live differently. And it'll teach us how to deal with bitterness. It'll teach us how to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Read it this week. We'll talk about it next week. Father, we love you. And as I say that today, it, uh, it reminds me that that should be so much more than words. And that truly in your word, when you talk about love, you, you don't define it as much as you describe it in the way that it behaves. And you said, if I love you, I would keep your commandments, and your commandments would not be grievous to me. Because I love you. And I so desire a relationship with you. Father, may we be a people who desire that relationship such that every other relationship in our life comes under that authority. That, that our family relationships, that, that, that as husbands and wives, we would live in obedience to your truth that allow you lordship over our lives. That as we interact with our parents and with our children, we would, we would have that relationship as a foundation for those relationships. So that as we interact with one another in the church and, and in our employment and and in our neighborhoods, and in our world, in our society, in our country, and around the world. That we would build those relationships on the foundation of our relationship with you. So that truly you live through us. Just in a moment, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just I want you to think for a moment. And, and do what we started out with today. Just examine yourselves if you be of the faith. Prove your own selves how Christ Jesus is in you, except you be reprobates. Do you know that if you died today, heaven would be your home? Do you know that Christ lives in you, that you've been made alive? If you don't know that today, we'd love to help you. It really isn't about church membership or attendance or any other thing than just a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today you realize, I've not been the husband I ought to be. I've not been the wife I ought to be. I need God's help. I know I need it. I'd encourage you today to let him give you that help. Let's stand together. The praise team's going to sing. As they, as they sing, if you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. We'd invite you to come. We'd love to help you. If you're struggling with that, if you've got doubts about that, we'd love to help you. There's some gentlemen at the end of these aisles. You'll just let them know what your need is. We'll take you to the privacy of our prayer room. We'll, we'll do our best social distancing. Show you from the Bible how you could know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. If you just need to come and pray, we invite you to come while we sing. Let God do in your life.
what he wants to do. You come while we sing. sing it all the time but it's true that's the key surrendering everything uh, all of my my anger and my frustration and my bitterness and my inability all of my past and my regrets my fears all you can't change yesterday it's gone but you can start today Let God give you a whole new day, a whole new beginning. I encourage you to do that. Certainly as it relates to our relationship with Him, but also as it relates to our relationships with our spouse. When He said, I show you a mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. He just highly elevated that marital relationship. It's an example to the world around us, particularly that world that lives within our home. We call them our children. How Christ loves his church and how his church responds to that love. And that's what God said. Now what I said is what God said. It's a serious relationship. We need to do it right. Thanks for being here today. Brother Doug, it's good to see you. Would you come up here and pray for us?